like very different in our approach to training. He had the talent and uh, and the gift of running. Kenny had the ability to be, probably be like a 214, 213 marathon runner. Based on the based on the mileage that he did, he, he ran a third of what I ran, and he ran as fast as I did. Track Friday. I'm Anne. I'm Ali. Hello, hello, listeners. <laughs> I was just thinking that this is the first um, time on our new release schedule, and it seems like we haven't uh, seen or <laughs> feel like we haven't visited with our listeners in a while. So, hi. <laughs> hi. Yeah, I know. Like we gave ourselves like the one week break, and all of a sudden, it feels like so much time has passed by. I know. <laughs> Like, Chill Track Friday is a distant memory. I'm like, what's going on? No, we need to release another episode. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah, we have a great, great, great episode for you today. Uh, first, though, I want to talk a little bit about coffee. Uh, we didn't do coffee before the show today. Uh, we had coffee separately. But you told me a really wonderful story about the coffee you had today. Can you share that? Yeah, I've been, I had coffee at home. Um, it's Italian coffee. My neighbors brought it because we were watching their dog while they were out vacationing in Sicily. Anyway, so th- that has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> I um, I have I've started having coffee in not coffee mugs, but these um, specific types of, in, in, in a glass um, that looks and reminds me of uh, glasses in which tea was served back in Pakistan and it, it, at like railway stations wherever like whenever you were traveling on train and like these like tea guys would come they had like these metal holders that would hold like six teacups six to eight anywhere and they would always be steaming whenever a train would pull into a station they would just run alongside the alongside the train and you could just they wouldn't even make it past like two cars and everybody would like soup up the cups or the glasses, and I finally found glasses here that look exactly like that. So I've started drinking my coffee in them, and it reminds me of those like tea slash chai days from back home whenever I would travel on the train. That's so nice. And yeah. you describe the way that the swirl of the coffee when you pour the milk in. Do they make tea uh, with milk? Like I mean, you said chai, so it's thicker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a few different ways to do chai, and um, you can have it without milk, but the ones over there usually at the train station are always milk based yeah it's beautiful yeah uh, and you said there were like just a few rupees right yeah like I, well when i was there back in like mid 90s and up until late 90s it was like one rupee for one cup That's amazing. and i think yeah anyway we don't have to do the dollar conversion but yeah, yeah no, that just comes down you. to pennies it's very yeah. cheap right <laughs> <laughs> yep oh that's great Oh, I should mention that I did go over to our friend Laura Rodriguez's house over the weekend, and she she was a guest of ours a few weeks ago, and she told us all about her husband's uh, coffee maker, the Majester. And I went over there and had the coffee, and it was so good, and I was <laughs> so over-caffeinated by the time I left there. <laughs> yeah, you were double-texting me the same message. Um, did you... <laughs> Did um did you have Alexa turn it on or was it No, no, Roly left it on before he went out for his bike ride. Okay. And then Laura did such a good job. She made it and she was um she she it was complicated. I mean, yeah. but she knew what she was doing and then she said that she didn't get the milk right, but it seemed right to me. 
And then Rolly came home and we were all chatting. And then he said, oh, do you want a real coffee now? <laughs> Whoa, shade. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't no, shade. It was kidding. so great. It was really good. I could only drink half of it. I took the other half to go. I actually saw on uh, Laura's Instagram story that they went to, um, I think, a barista class. And then Rolly was like on point with making his lattes and all the shapes. Everyone else is like, what the hell does that look like that you're like? And Rolly's was like perfect right out the gate. Well, it's actually perfect that we're talking about Laura because the two guests that we have today um, are are related not by blood but by uh, track club blood, and um, we have Ken Ralston and actually Laura's coach Ernie Rivas is in town, and both of them are Lehman College track and field uh, cross country Hall of Famers. Rock stars when I Total look at their rock time. stars. Yeah. Um, well, Ken was the head coach at Van Cortland Track Club. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about that in uh, in our episode. But he was uh, inducted in the Lehman College Hall of Fame in 1999. They're kind of dominant forces. When you, I, I I don't want to take too much time. We don't even have to do like too much introduction because I want them to tell all of their stories because they're wonderful stories. But Coach Ken, 421 miler, 226 marathoner, uh, multiple times at Boston, at the Boston, this, uh, we've split the episode in two parts right away, so we could say mm-hmm. that. Um, and the second part talks about uh, their journey or their, you know, the, the race recap of the 1975 Boston. And one thing that's really interesting about this episode is that Ken and Ernie both have very different approaches to training and it's really cool to hear them because they both are super fast and so talented and have reached amazing pinnacles of running and they both approach their training differently and they're both coaches so they have different coaching approaches which is wonderful and they're going to share all about that. Um, Ernie has run 15 sub 230 marathons and he's run 15 marathons between 2.30 and 2.37, and his marathon PR is 2.21, so he's he's really fast. <laughs> and uh, just a really uh, thoughtful, serious runner and coach, so we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Ken, and welcome, Ernie. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. You guys are coaches at, or we're coaches at Van Cortland Track Club. We're in the midst of kind of transitioning things. But before we get into all the coaching stuff and all mm-hmm. of that, let's talk about a big event that's coming up. And I just want your thoughts on that. The London Marathon in a in a few days. Mm-hmm. And it's probably got one of the best lineups on both men and women's side. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, honestly, I haven't paid that much attention to it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I might get up at you know four thirty in the morning and check it out. I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. The top end of it with these, you know, with uh, you know Farah and Kipchoge, it should be uh, compelling theater. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're really talking about two quality, you know, mm-hmm. two of the greatest runners ever. Um, Kipchoge, to me, exists uh, in his own plane um, with what he's done. I watched the footage. I actually watched the tape of his uh, effort in Berlin that was filmed from the car about 50 yards in front of him all the way through. And it was just amazing watching his, uh, his turnover and the fact that his, he, his, his, uh, his stride never changed. It didn't seem to change at all. And during a marathon, you know, there's usually those breakdown points or whatever, and it seemed like it just, it just plain never occurred. Um, 
I watched the uh, you know the the try the attempts for a sub two on the on that you know that mm-hmm. uh, racing track in Italy, and was just astounded at his at his perseverance and his ability to do that because to me that was something impossible. Back in the seventies, you know, we used to talk about <laughs> the goal of you know what was possible to our goal, and I actually had a conversation with Bill Rogers in nineteen seventy six about that. Uh, following a 30k road race, and and we both said no way, that's just not, not possible to break two hours. We we didn't even he didn't even think breaking 206 was possible at that wow. point. But here wow. we are, 40 years later. Do you do you remember what the record was back then? Uh, roughly 208. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, that Derek Rogers Clayton's? had the fourth fastest time at the time with, with his victory at Boston 75, and then uh, uh, Derek Clayton from Australia. He had a two hundred eight thirty three. That was the world record. World record back then. Yeah, it's it's incredible how far it's come Wrong down right? since then. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Um, I had the honor of meeting Bill Rogers uh, about a month ago, and uh, uh, he's a beloved figure in American road racing. Um, I think a lot of it being because he's such a humble, regular guy, mm-hmm. and nice to everybody. Doesn't have airs about him, and and it's you he doesn't have this uh rock star quality or aura per se but he has this very humble aura and that it makes him even more appealing and he was mm-hmm. just just shooting the breeze about track and about and he was he was nostalgic about running in van Cortland. he ran there in college and we were talking about the cross country course and the races there and all that stuff so he thought it was really cool to talk talk with us about it Gosh, it's interesting that? that you guys had that conversation way back then and then it became such a big thing 30, I don't know, eight years down the line or whatever, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of fascinating that it was on your mind back then, that kind of the two-hour barrier. It makes sense where like round numbers are always kind of attractive to people in terms of like breaking the four, mi- you know, for, for the mile, four minutes, and then marathons kind mm-hmm. of been stuck on this two-hour thing. I'm, I'm curious to see if Mo Farrell can hang with uh, uh, Elliot and um, I his track background impress is very impressive everybody knows what he's done on the track and uh, and he's kind of transitioned really well into the marathon and uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of a race this will be uh, I don't think it's going to be a kicking race I think it's going to they're going to have pacers there they're going to pull these guys London's going to want to see the world record broken and uh, and 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 there will be pacers there to try to ensure that happens. So I'm just curious to see how how Farah's gonna gonna hang with with uh, you know Elliot on this one. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, same here. Very curious yeah. on that front as well. We we've been talking about sending each other videos all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, what's fascinating to me is that these two are obviously being talked about all the time but then all of a sudden you look underneath them you right. have wilson kip sang you have kitara yeah. who, who <laughs> took second at new york and london last right. year yeah. so like they're not even so we, we don't know it's going to be right. really exciting some other guy some, yeah. other, <laughs> some, <laughs> some other 204 guys right yeah. Yeah. they're slow. all incredible all these other slow pokes underneath them um what was that stat we looked at yesterday about the number of olympic yeah. qualifiers in 2016, 460, 427 27 Kenyans qualified, met the qualifying standard for the Olympics. And in America, we, we had, okay. at 216, we had none. Wow. And, and now we have three. Mm-hmm. So, so it shows you where they're at and we're at. Yeah. yeah. And even on the women's side, there, I heard there are four women in, on the elite side who have broken 219 yes so that's mm-hmm. also going to be and obviously America Tiny is always a but American women are doing way better mm-hmm. globally than men 
than American men. Yeah, American. can you talk about that? A little yeah, bit? yeah. I, I, I think there's been a huge um, uh, women have caught up, and and uh, on on a national level now the popularity uh, around running distance distances, especially the marathon, 1500 and up, has, uh, has attracted a lot of women into into American women into into those races. So you're seeing in any international race, uh, world championships. Uh, on the track or the Olympic championships, you'll see American women in there, and, they've, and, they've, and they're a factor. They're winning medals, and, uh, and then in the big international races like Boston and um, and London, you'll also again see American women. They don't necessarily win, but they're in that mix. They're 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 close to winning, or they win maybe the bronze and silver medal, um, not the gold yet. Although that's not true, but totally true. Um, and it's just been great to see over the last 20 or 30, to 20 years, women rise, American women rising to that level and not being afraid to contest against the, the, the Russians, I mean the Russians, the, uh, uh, the Ethiopians and the Kenyans and mixing it up with them. And uh, yeah. you don't see that too much on, on the road in the marathon with the men, although now we have the two Americans who ran, almost broke 208. 209 I'm sorry so we'll we'll see what happens and maybe they can spark the men to, to kind of catch up but the men have been on a decline for a very long time yeah. do you think that the increase or the better performance in the women is just because there's more resources are being allocated to the training and support or do you think that just on a comparative scale they're just better athletes um, I think right now there's a lot of, of, of corporate sponsorship going into the sport and um, and then and then there have been some trendsetters who who like Flanagan, mm -hmm. who maybe ten years ago Flanagan was uh, a world class runner, but she was sort of the odd American who was the world class runner. Now you see Kara Goucher came along, Desi, and now there's a whole. But this year we have I think last year I think we had ten American women who ran under two twenty eight, and uh, and mm -hmm. and and Jordan Hesse is is going for a sub. 220 in Chicago to break Dina Castor's uh, record. So I, I, mm -hmm. I think it's corporate sponsorship and and also I think interest by women to be distance runners. I think I've just seen that they just want to be distance runners and they want to be champions, not not just running in the back, satisfied to run 230, 245. They want to break 220 or they want to run under 225. And they want to do something globally. They're competitive. They're, if, you, mm -hmm. if you talk to them, and maybe you'll get to interview them sometimes. You'll see how com competitive they are. Yeah. Top. Something that's been really nice to observe is the support that they give each other. Yeah. Like Shalane, for instance, the way that she supports the athletes that come on the Bowerman team mm -hmm. and running with them and pacing Correct. them and yeah. kind of knowing that she's in a different part and she's transitioning into right. what seems like a new phase of her career. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's still competing, but she's definitely yeah. a mentor. Yeah. And I think that's really, I think that's really powerful, especially yeah. for women who there can be a very competitive element that's not necessarily positive. Mm -hmm. And you know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but it just seems like there's a real fostering of talent yeah. and support, mm -hmm. which is really wonderful to see, especially as a woman. Yeah. And that's yeah. something new, yeah. I think, because in the past I've known world-class runners before, women in particular, and and I and I know that it can get a little bit. Um, um, sketchy competitive between them and uh, they want to hide their secrets their training secrets and all that and they want to win and they don't want the other one to win but I think that's changed for some reason I don't know why but I know the classic one is Desi and, and Flanagan at yeah. Boston 
and and how they helped each other in that race. And that was so beautiful. You're seeing to watch, more yeah. of that, more and more than on the women's side. Mm-hmm. That's I don't know about the men's, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was really fascinating yeah. watching them all. And this whole idea of forming a community while being competitive. Right. They're all intense competitors, but at the same time, I think they realized that as a group, they're onto something. Absolutely. And that this whole this whole group is coming through. And you know, look look at how strong we were in Rio. You know? Yeah. And speaking of like working as a community now talking about the sport holistically it's so we just watched a video last night posted on the facebook page by Lund, by the on the london marathon facebook page and it's a nine minute documentary of elliot kipchoge and his camp mm-hmm. it's very short but you see how i don't know how many you can tell they're probably 20 or i don't know 15 to 20 guys uh, mm-hmm. who are on this on this uh, nn running team training camp but it's it looks so close knit that yeah. everything that they do there's this there's obviously they're all competing for the elite of the elites, mm-hmm. but there's something that makes them even better by being together and helping mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He could be in a castle somewhere. Yeah, but yeah. he's not. He's still sweeping he's floors. Yeah, yeah. He's being part of the group, and I think that's he says he's very grounded and very admirable. You know, from that perspective he yeah he could he could walk away but so so the africans changed the way we prepare for marathons because exactly what you're speaking about the way they concentrate themselves in little camps and the way they train at altitude and at the breakneck speeds that they 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 uh, compete at so americans now have copied parts of that mm-hmm. but you don't want to do the whole thing because in their world the 25 guys or 25 women running in a in a camp and a lot of the, the injury you don't see the injury rate and the burnout rate that occurs there but there is a, a significant a significant number and the strongest of the strongest rise to the top but at this at the expense of 20 30 40 100 others that, that, that make it the American camps are a little bit different a little bit more more nurturing mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. and you don't have uh, that that brutality that takes place in the Kenyan camps sometimes, where where, where they go out when Kachoga goes out to run his his fartlek run, mm-hmm. he's got sixty to hundred guys who want to copy him, so mm-hmm. they run with him. And I've seen footage of, of, of guys just falling on the ground, walking away halfway through. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, well, about what's about, the Kenyan finger? About, yeah. about 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 half of them finish. You know, the other half they're they're young 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 boys, let's say, who want to be him, yeah. and uh, and all. But the American camps are a little bit different, and they're a little bit more nurturing. I think the coaches are have a different viewpoint, uh, uh, and it's not a short term as they are in Kenya. You know, a Kenyan guy wants to run a race, win $10,000 and buy a farm and never run again. That's not totally true for American runners. And uh, for us, it's more of an art. I think for them, it's more of a way out of poverty, you know. Well, Ernie, Ernie's working with a group of post-collegiate athletes in uh, yeah, on the West Coast now. So they're kind of on a subset just below, you know, the highest level. Probably two, um, two, two right. levels below yeah, that. Kind of the minor league baseball you yeah. know, of, of runners. But it's kind of fascinating to, uh, for you to work with them, I'm sure, and yeah. see. Yeah. One of my dreams is to have a camp and uh, of, of elite runners. I don't know how I'm going to do this yet. I'm just retired, but that's yeah. one of my dreams. So I'm volunteering uh, at Berkeley, Cal. I'm I'm in I'm in the Bay Area in California, and I I watched this one particular coach. He's very old school. He was co- coached by Wetmore, mm-hmm. and uh, and he has a, a a base of about forty runners, all young, 
um, uh, and and they and and they run a range anything from the 800 up to the marathon, and um, and and the coach's name is Carl Rose, and uh, and he's an incredible coach, and he's been doing this for 10 years, and he asked, I asked, can I volunteer? And he said, sure. So I volunteer. I don't. I do the. I do coach on the side, but I don't touch his athletes. I I more help out with uh, timing. I show up the races. Uh, sort of like the sweat boy, you know, carry the carry that kind of stuff. Uh, they. I I give a little bit of advice, but I always clear it through through Carl, mm-hmm. the coach, and uh, and I'm just learning through him how to manage a team, big team of elite runners. I know how to do one on ones, but a team is a little bit different. You know? I I want to talk about that dream. So let's say we are eight, ten years down the road, and you do have this dream camp. What does it look like? Oh well, I live in a wonderful area that has mountains mm-hmm. and hills, and and it's where I trained, and uh, and it's the East Bay Hills uh, above Oakland, Berkeley area, and uh, and you can easily go for a ten mile run and climb fifteen hundred feet up and down, up and down. So um, it would be something like I would have maybe five or six or seven athletes, men and women. Uh, who might have just graduated from college, they might have been good milers, 5,000 meter runners on the track, and they want to convert, and they were fast. Let's say, I would love to get you know, three or four guys who can run plus or minus 14 minutes for 5,000 on the track, and a couple of women who might be able to run maybe plus or minus 16 minutes for the 5,000, and, and they want to convert, and they want to look long-term, and they may be 22, 23, 24 years old, and, uh, and 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 we would use. I got the training camp right there, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so so we it, it would be easy, you know, in terms of, of that. Now we wouldn't have the altitude, which is what I would really like. But I have the Sierras nearby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ideally, I wish I could have like a shoe sponsor and I could have a place at seven thousand feet. Let's say we have that. Yeah, so I would do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, is there a track? Thank you. Next to the next to the home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's a track to my, okay. my biggest dream is the Olympic gold medal. There's nothing like it, and the Olympic gold medal is the epitome. You can win all the Boston marathons and New York City marathons you want, but as a marathon runner, I think the Olympic mm. gold medal is the is the, is the top prize, and uh, and it, for an American, it's really hard to get there. Any American can run the Boston marathon. Or the New York City Marathon, but to get to the Olympic Marathon, just to get a shot at the gold medal, yeah. you have to make the team, right. and that's a, and that's what makes it. So the three Americans who do make the team, I think, have an opportunity to win the most, mm-hmm. the greatest prize, yeah. which pays the least amount of money, yeah. and uh, and 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 probably offers the least amount of fame compared to winning Boston and New York. But that is the prize, and that's my dream to have an athlete on the podium and uh, went with that medal around their neck. And I tell my athletes, if that ever becomes you, I want you, and I don't charge them any money, I do this all for free, I tell them, if you ever do wind up on that podium, uh, I want you to come and see me and let me hold the medal in my hand. I just want to hold it in my hand for a minute and I'll give it right back to you. That's, that'd be all the payment I would need. Yeah. I have a question. How would you? How do you make that transition from the five thousand or ten thousand to then an Olympic standard marathon? Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. But yeah, no, it's it's actually easy to state, but hard to do. Right. Uh, you, you go. You you have to. You, they have to do distance. It's pu- it's pretty simple. So with the one athlete that I'm coaching now, who was a five and ten thousand meter runner, who wasn't very fast in college, by the way. 
um, um, she just qualified for the Olympic trial, so she's t- already in a year and a half done the first step, you know. And and she was not a fast five or ten thousand meter runner in college. Her father and I were good friends. Mike Mike Gooley is his name, and and he asked me, "Can you coach my daughter?" Because she she just graduated college. So I said, "Sure, I'll give her I'll give it a shot." So she and I've been working for two years, and and basically distance. She had to convert from sixty miles a week, speed work on the track. To 80 miles well we start off 70 to 80 miles a week and uh, now she's experimenting with 100 mile weeks and uh, and she doesn't know this yet but you know I, I I'm gonna be at the Olympic she, well let me backtrack a little bit here she didn't think she could qualify for the Olympic trial she was a 307 marathon runner okay so uh, Twice, mm-hmm. she she followed my training program and for about a year, and she kept running 307 two other times. And uh, and I and I talked to Sarah about that, and I said, "Look, uh, I'm not messing around here. Uh, we we gotta. You're faster than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think it's the problem is between your ears because you're doing the mileage, just 80 miles a week. And uh, so after that, the next cycle, she ran 256." And it was all mental. Mm-hmm. She didn't change anything in her training. It was all mental. She just got tougher. Mm-hmm. And then she ran 252 uh, four months later. And then we took a big, long cycle of about eight months. And the goal was sub-245, which she still didn't quite believe she could do. So we played pretend. So half of it's psychology, I guess. You know, you, mm-hmm. said you, you make believe. You, you tell yourself that you can do it. And all the doubts will come in, and you live with the doubts. Yeah, oh, here's the doubts. You live with it, mm-hmm. and uh, but you keep going back to 245, sub 24. You keep believing that you can do it. And I said, and I'll do the same thing on my end because I doubted myself sometimes too. Mm-hmm. And we worked on that together. And she kept putting in the mileage, and we did simulation runs and workouts. She didn't race a lot. We did some simulations uh, in workouts, and then she began to think that maybe I can do it. And, uh, and we met at the 23-mile mark. That's what was the goal. I said, I'll be at the 23-mile mark. I want to be at the finish. Mm-hmm. And when she went by, our eyes locked, and she, and she knew she had it. Uh-huh. And she, and she, she got, got it by, she got it by <laughs> two minutes. She went wow. up to 240. He was texting me the whole time. Yeah, he <laughs> was, oh, Kenny was great. And then, yeah, yeah. And then I had to drive to the finish line. Her parents were there, thank goodness. And, uh, and, and, and she made it. And then right after the race, we're sitting down, and she says, when did you tell me? I could do this and I said a year and a half ago yeah. you know like that about a year and a half ago and and now I want she's gonna run Chicago and I have big hopes for her in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, I won't say it now because I don't want her to know yeah. but uh, she thinks she's just gonna run a 236 that's the goal I love your approach in terms of use the word we are experimenting with this because you're learning about her I'm about learning, what's yeah. working what's not and then the longevity of the entire thing um, like an eight-month cycle, like, but you've been working with her for two years, yeah. so mm-hmm. it kind of fits into the entire camp dream that you're talking about. Yeah. Like it's something that nurtures for a really yeah, yeah. long time. Which is, yeah. I'm really fascinated by the mental side. So wh- I have a question for both of you as coaches. Obviously, you can help an athlete to see their potential by giving them honest assessment of where they are and who they are and what you think they're capable of, but Ultimately, it is essentially up to the athlete to make those breakthroughs. But how do you, how do you help someone do that? Is it, it's not inevitable, right? At the, at that level, the level that I'm I'm speaking about, which is different from maybe coaching a massive team. You know, people who just want to do 
break three hours or 240, you know, if you're talking about global competition or national competition, as a coach, the way you make them believe that they can do it is by you actually believing they can do it. It starts with you as the coach. So if, if you don't believe it, it's, it's going to come out, even if you don't mm-hmm. say the exact words, it's, it's going to come out somehow through your actions, through the yeah. way you behave with them, interact with them. So as a coach, I have to believe that my runner can break 230. Now, in reality, can she break 230? I don't really know, but I have to believe that she can or he can. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it starts there, that, that essence. And then from there, what you do is is you you build the workouts accordingly mm-hmm. so it's sort of a on a one-to-one basis it's sort of like a like a like a uh, a friend a relationship that you got to make sure yeah. is successful you feel the responsibility it shows so much the power of the mind and we've talked about the book indoor alex hutchinson a few times just the belief that there's something more there than you think is there and yeah. to tap into that mental side of it and we have the physical training needs to be there but then the mental is this whole other yeah. house Extension. I find that that's the beauty of the club. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so the club, I mean, so so the aspirations are very different, right, on, on people who, in, for whom running is a sidebar, right? right. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody has professions and careers and lives, and it's not, not professional runners here, right? Um, but so you have a group that's where folks are running from 20 miles a week to 40 miles or maybe, maybe 60 occasionally. Mm-hmm. So you kind of tailor that. And then you watch and see what they're doing and, and how they're progressing. And then then these little camps form, you know, almost mm-hmm. naturally, you know, whether it's Darwinian or whether it's just personality or whatever it is, mm-hmm. where you see groups that, that run together. And, and I think you guys know anytime you run solo yeah. is very different from when you're with one other person or three or four other people. Yeah. And the ability to then do something better than you could have thought, especially on the day that may have been tough for yourself. Yeah. We go there on Saturday, and it doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees or zero. Somebody's going to be there <laughs> every time, yeah. and there's always going to be somebody who's present and wants to get out there. I love running in the worst conditions. Um, yeah. You know, torrential rainstorms. You know, minus five degrees. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Anything but heat for me. But but it's different for others because you've conquered yourself. Um, when you get when you finish that, there's nothing more satisfying than the post than the post run shower and, and the, that that kind of electric feeling through your body uh, that feels so good. Um, for me, I like to tell runners there's a very basic old stand old standard rule called the four second rule, uh, which I believe in greatly because it actually hits my PRs from top to bottom along along a track. And so if somebody if somebody can run a 40 minute 10k or whatever I say well look this projects to this time and I've told that to some of the runners and they look at me like what are you kidding I say, no it's it's here you know, look you're 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 this fast you can do this but this is the work it's going to take it's going to be a marathon um, I mean to me the club really for the most part are half marathoners all right you know because that's an attainable distance for people who have busy lives marathoning requires another level of commitment uh, that's beyond that so it's it's harder to predict how how those folks would do so you have this whole you know and every week there's different people at the track workouts and there's a different core there's the hill people the hill <laughs> people yeah <laughs> so do, that show up in people. the summer do you find that like 
certain people obviously it's it's quite clear right it's almost part of like a prerequisite questionnaire before you train someone do you like if, let's say they have been a runner for a while you're like what do you like do you like tempo runs and um intervals or hills or what's your preference so you in coaching a group do you find that like oh this group always shows up for uh for hills and these guys these people are always there there's for a the different intervals. enthusiasm for the hills uh, i think there's a greater fear of the track um because the mm. track is the truth and, and when you're running whatever your time is, that's what your time is, okay, yeah. for the quarter. And I think a lot of people don't want to know what that is. Um, but, I mean, for years before the old Garmin stuff came out, everybody said, I just went on a nine-mile run. And I was like, bullshit, that was eight and a half. <laughs> it says, you are all lying by a half mile, all of you. I'm going to go back yeah. and redo my record. And so yeah, exactly. we, right, right. So like Dave King has his little wheel and he measures right. everything out. Yeah. And, and uh, so, oh, so I mean, so you know, right? It says, no, you thought you ran this, but you actually ran back. <laughs> and on track, you know exactly what you ran, you know. Dave King and I, by the way, were competitors in college. I don't know if you knew that, um, but he ran for City College. I ran for Lehman, and we were so we were we were rivals. Who were, you know, uh, and he was a forty-eight quarter miler. Wow! Whoa. I don't know if you realized that. On Cinder. And I don't know if you realize how on good. C yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, or maybe like you know on on that concrete that passed yeah. for tracks yeah. at the time. Yeah. And Glenn Glenn Shane was a forty-seven quarter miler in his day uh, and was a uh, Empire State Games champion for years something like 15 years in a row he was a, he was an age group winner for half or half, for a half mile um, he was also uh, in a world record setting 4 by 400 masters relay team Jeez. Uh, these guys were running like 55 a man at the age of 50 you know, oh my so, so he has incredible pedigree, all right. Uh, and so it's Glenn and, Dan, and Dave. You know, they're great, great runners. They don't, then they don't, they don't tell you that. They don't. And neither do you. You guys. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you let's guys stop are all of this pedigree. Let's talk <laughs> about your running. Yeah, let's 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 since we have we we're going in reverse chronological order. Yeah. We started with the London Marathon, which hasn't we're happened yet, yeah. and we're kind of pulling back. So why don't we just flip back to? Either one of you. Maybe we can start with you. How did sure. first okay. days of running? How did that well, start? Well, as a street urchin, really, as a street urchin, you know. I mean, you think about it. Growing up in the Bronx and Hundred Fifty Fifth Street and Melrose Avenue, Elton Avenue, um, we actually had a play street. One of those PAL things where they blocked off the street uh, for the summer, you know, and to have the summer initiative and mm -hmm. you know a little, you know, uh, the, uh, the hydrants uh, with the caps on them. So, but we were like stickball <laughs> players and or ring alivio players and roundup tag and all these games like that. Um, and uh, roundup tag was a game where you, let's say there were eight kids, and so one kid was it, and then you'd have to catch all of the rest of them. Mm -hmm one by one and then as you gather as you caught one then the two of yous went after the remaining six. Oh, that sounds fun so then there would be finally seven of them chasing the last one you know? and i, and I was this little squirrely you know uh urchin and 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 were uh, you the last uh, one being chased always usually <laughs> often. now my brother my brother who's a year younger than me yeah. and taller and slower he played basketball at lehman for a few years uh he had a tactic which completely pissed off everybody who participated in this game <laughs> Let's hear because this. the way you play the game normally right kids would be like all right you're it and so you'd like run like a cheetah for however long you last right like five seconds yeah. or whatever and then you'd stop because you didn't get somebody you know and then you'd recover and then chase somebody again you know mm -hmm. my brother 
would come after you at a slow, merciless jog. <laughs> and he would just run you down. down. Run you down. You know? That's clever. So, right. And everybody was like, you mother. <laughs> you know, cursing at him and everything else. And, so you know, so knew. his tactic was completely different. Everybody wanted to kick his ass, yeah. you know, just, you know, for, for changing the game. Yeah. yeah. There, was a, there was no real set rule, but that was... You know, but 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 as street kids, we did a lot of running in all of our activities. I wanted we just you know just you know parents to send us out of our little you know coal fed apartment and, and just run go go you know go go get lost. Um, and then I remember getting a a call to 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 do a mile at Van Cortlandt Stadium, uh, preparatory to joining to going to high school. And I ran a mile, and you know I was. I was four eight and seventy two pounds in the eighth grade. I was this tiny little thing, and uh, something like that. And and so then I went out for cross country in high school, and they only they didn't have, they did not have a track team, just a cross country team. So we ran for a couple of months, you know, September through November, and I was pretty good. First place I ran competitively was at Van Cortlandt. Mm. China on the cross country course. Mm-hmm. We had a very small school, uh, St. Nicholas of Tallentine, and on Fordham Road in the Bronx. Irish Catholic, you know, just comp- almost completely. Uh, and then I became better and better in, in cross country and, you know, and ran a, a 13 40 on the two and a half, yeah. which is a pretty decent time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Top 20 in the city. Got the last medal when I was a senior in the sectionals. Yeah. And I remember the kid from behind me cursing. Because <laughs> 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 I knew all the way down the final stretch that I was 20th. Yeah. And uh, he was 24. Oh. I could he, he'd feel him right here. How, how did you, you know, know you were 20th? I, people were counting and okay. saying, and along, the, along that yeah. whole, you know, they, they would do you that. know. It's yeah. amazing what yeah. you know. Yeah. Like in grammar school, you know, um, I transferred schools in, in sixth grade. And so the, within the first week, I knew who was the toughest, who was the smartest, and who was the fastest. <laughs> Everybody knew. Everybody. Oh, this whole so cool. thing in school about, yeah. you know, who, who is what, you yeah. know. Um, Did you enjoy running in high school? Loved it. It gave me an identity. I was mm. a very, very shy person. And, um, you know, uh, Small and afraid, and you yeah. know, you know, tough priests and nuns and all that. Yeah. And, uh, so it was a very intimidating environment. I remember the first day in school, um, I walked in and I was uh, one of I was really small, and this guy picked me up by one hand and held me up at the top of the locker. Oh, <laughs> you know, That's my horrible. feet, Welcome. my feet are doing the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> And he just kind of let me go, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to be swell." But you so, could kick his um, ass on the track. Yes, I could. I could <laughs> run. I can run uh, fast. So it was kind of a. It gave me an identity. Uh, the running, um, and then uh, and my brother behind, year behind me was on the basketball team, and then my other another brother's two years uh, after that, and he ran cross country also. And actually, my first coaching gig came by accident. Uh, when I was a junior at Lehman College, uh, the coach had left at, at Tallentine High School, and they asked me and another person on a, on the Lehman team to coach them. Yeah, yeah. Does your time is I read so on the f- Lehman site for the mile and the two mile for Lehman College? Is it the fastest? Yeah, uh, still right. Well, you know what's great? 
They don't run the mile anymore. Yes. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> like, guys, can yes. you just etch that in the stone? Because, yeah. Like the mile's yeah. not coming back. And actually, they, so cool. they had a they had a board. They I loved it. They had a they had a, yeah. a record board um, in the gym, and so every event had the had the had the school record on it. What is your they, mile record? Um, well, it it evolved. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so. It started at 433, I think it was, then 429, then 425, then 422, then 421 over over the years. To me, you know, you were talking before about the aspirations of a two-hour marathon. Mm -hmm. For me, the aspiration was breaking two minutes and a half, which I never did. 200.2, 200.4, wow. 200.1. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, every all, hand, point. all hand checks. So yeah. you know, and so maybe. <laughs> um, I, I cut you off. You were gonna say, I think, two of your proudest oh, races. Oh, um, was well, um, I'm a little sidetrack. I'm a big Oakland Raider fan. Mm-hmm. Ernie lives in Oakland, so I've been to a few games out there, and so they were always a team that made the championship game and lost. You know, uh, they had a, a, a history of that. I started to think of myself in those terms too, because I, in the CUNYs cross country, I was second as a freshman, second as a junior, second as a senior, mm-hmm. so second. But I won as a sophomore, okay. um, and that was in the New York Times. And Dave King was supposed to beat me in that race, <laughs> according to his coach. And so that was a really cool moment, um, you know, to win that. Uh, that was on the five mile course. Um, so and then um, when I was a senior um, on the track, I'd never won um, on the mile or the two miles. Usually third or fourth or oh, something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, I thought you won. Huh? I thought you won one year. I did my final my final mile. Oh, my final one. Oh. I finally did. I had read a tactical uh, a book on tactics uh, or an article about it for, on, on how to how to approach a mile differently because mm-hmm. everybody was about the, the, the kick in the last mile and, and Queens College the dreaded enemy they always hosted the CUNYs okay. um, and they were arrogant arrogant mofos <laughs> <laughs> we hated them we hated them um, they always won you know uh, and they actually double teamed me in, in the mile they actually had their best yeah. half miler who was, a, who was like a 155 guy uh, go out and kind of try, try to Try to, I'm gonna like, pull you. Um, yeah, try to. Well, they had him, him pulling his teammate. Oh. And then there was myself, and so. So um, how did you deal with that? Did you just stick with? Your um, plan? we stayed on 66s, um, 66, 212. Um, but rather than w- wait to go at the final quarter, I went at 600, wow. which was not easy to do yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. But then 66, and then 63 in the last. And I actually remember. Like punching the tape when I, you know, I was like, <laughs> like, yes. You know, we so. love your description that you give to the Van Cortland Track Club for how to run the Fifth Avenue Mile. <laughs> Favorite part is like you have to find the balance between a maniacal start and a controlled start. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I like writing that up every year. We printed it out. It's oh, so funny. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. We love it. Yeah. Well, one actually, uh, this year's Fifth Avenue Mile is going to be hopefully one of the most joyous. Uh, memorable uh, moments uh, of my life because um, as much as my of my entire family as possible is going to be participating in but various nieces and nephews and siblings and all that so hopefully I don't know about 15 to 20 of us will do it wow, so that's that'd be kind of, it's kind of cool so to me I, I have the soul of a miler really. mm-hmm. and the marathon came came basically 
because yeah. of yeah. yeah. Well, well, actually, when I was a, when I was a, a senior at in at Lehman College, um, there was a sprinter on the team who had run the second New York Marathon, and he implored a few of us to try for the third one, which yeah. was in Central Park in 1972, mm-hmm. a lap around the bottom and then four full laps. And it was the somewhat famous race uh, in which they had the six women mm-hmm. sat down at the start because they were grant they were told that they had to start ten minutes early, and basically they they staged a sit down, which is a perfect thing to do at, yeah. at that in that era. Yeah. And we all cheered behind them, yeah. all yeah. hundred eighty of us yeah. who paid I think a dollar. For the entry fee for the New York Marathon in 1972, my brother Mark was in it, um, and and about five or six guys from our cross country team in the middle of the season when I was a senior, in kind of defiance of the coaches. Um, At that time, I think it was late September or early October that the race was held. It was not, it was not November like it is now. So um, this is pre Fred Libel going to all the city agencies saying like we're gonna do this five boroughs. Yes, but still in older yes, this Park. is the yeah. older, you know, yeah. older, er, yeah, well, earliest good grasp of Libel had it then. He was just yeah. emerging, right? And right. this was his second or third, yeah. right. right? So you met Ernie at Lehman through a friend. We, through a friend who was the captain of the cross country team at, at uh, Lehman, a character named Milty Ayala. Um, I came from, from Theodore Roosevelt High School, so I was sort of the public school system, and Milty was a teammate of mine who was older, and he went to Lehman, and he kept telling me about this freshman, or whoever this guy was. And, <laughs> whoever so, this guy you're yeah. pointing next, yeah, sitting yeah. next to you right now. <laughs> that this guy. guy. And I was, so I was going to Bronx Community College after high school, so it would be years later before, I mean, I would bump into Kenny, I'd go to Van Cortland, we didn't have a team, and I would see Kenny running races so I'm on the track a couple of times and everything, and, and I said, wow, that guy's really fast, you know, and he's tough. And, uh, and Milty would always remind me of Kenny. Oh, yeah, well, you got to come over because you got to run with Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we didn't, we never became teammates at Lehman. Ernie no. wound up at Lehman right after I was yeah. gone, which is really unfortunate because I had hoped that we would have had the chance to run together. Um, so... So we, our paths didn't quite intersect. Um, but we raced. You know, we, we raced yeah. a lot on the track as open runners and, and also on the road right. as well. And, uh, yeah, the New York Roadrunners thing was starting to boom um, yeah. with the road races. and uh, They moved to yeah. Central Park. Yeah, They used to be on Cedric Avenue near Yankee Stadium, and then Lebo moved everything over to, to, to Central Park somehow. And all the races from that point on place in it was park. great to run on the roads after running five mile cross country at van Cortland. yeah i didn't realize i was like oh my god it was so much faster to run a road five mile like a minute and a half yeah. difference between that and running that stinking course at cemetery hill yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> my hard. god all right really this is hard. more like it <laughs> so yeah. so we ran some really cool races together and and uh um you, you tell would that story. Me. Well, you would beat me every single time, so so it was very frustrating because because uh, Kenny would inevitably beat me sometimes by a lot and some, but most of the time by just a little bit. So it was frustrating to see him in front of me. You know, there were times where he, I I'd be chasing him in a I don't know maybe a ten miler at Central Park for last mile, and he'd be like two seconds in front of me. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I, I couldn't get him. And then he would turn around and tell me, what was your line you said to me one day? You don't think I'm going to let a guy who can't break 60 seconds for the quarter beat me? <laughs> we were pretty cool. Wow, crazy. Yeah. Wow. So I... I, I I'd walk, I, I'd smile and I'd walk away. Oh, yeah. Let me get you next time. Yeah, something like that. You know? Right, so two seconds portends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something else there. I think one, I don't remember this, but you tell me that when, that we did a four mile race in Central Park, Snowflake. but that was only after we had run down there and run back. But I don't know. I think I, I think you did, I did that. that. I used to I run don't think from I did Fordham Road down to Central Park to get my workout in and then run a race. That's one of my training formulas and uh, run on tired legs. Yeah, so I chased you that day. Oh, that was one of the ones where I chased you and the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I was cursing you out at the end or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Ernie, you are very fast. Um, your personal best of the marathon is 221.16, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that was at the 1980 National AAU Marathon Championships, correct. right? Yeah. That's amazing. Where'd you get that? (laughs) Oh, we do our research. (laughs) (laughs) And you've run, I don't know if this number is accurate, but at least 47 marathons, is that correct? I've run about 40-something marathons, yeah. Okay. And how did you get into running and transitioning into marathons? Similar to Ken, I I used to play all the street games, Ringolivia, Tag, and all that. And, um, and, um, and it was the only sport I was good at, you know, playing those games and uh, on the street. And then one day I went to the library because I wanted to look up on something on running. And I found Roger Bannister's book, The, the Four Minute Mile. And I opened it up and I read the first pe- few pages and it was very poetic. It's about a little boy on a beach who feels the wind and starts running barefoot on this. And I went, wow. And then I read the whole book on how he ran sub four minute miles. And uh, so I wanted to be a miler, of course, right? So when I went to high school, I, um, I ran cross country and, and I tried to be a miler in the first year, but I really wasn't that good at it. And then I discovered this other runner by the name of Ron Clark. I used to read about Ron Clark all the time. Uh, are you familiar with Ron Clark? No, I'm, I'm not. No, okay, I'm look not. him up. He, he was an Australian runner in the 60s who won numerous, set numerous world records. Yeah. Uh, from anything from the two mile all the way up to the ten thousand. First, first runner to run to run under twenty eight minutes for ten thousand. Not only wow. he, was he the first runner to run it, he shattered it. He was he, he broke the world record by forty seconds, wow. and and there are only three guys in the race. And I read that in the paper, and I said, Oh, I want to be Ron Clark now. Moving on up. Yeah. Because so, he was a lot. Shazam. Yeah. And so, so I decided, so I started to run the two mile in, in, uh, in high school. But I had a really bad coach, and he didn't know how to coach. And he, he had a very odd system of, of running time trials. So if you were a quarter mile or a two mile, you ran a time trial every day. Three days a week, and that, and that was it. And, well, three days a week, and the other days you didn't oh run God. at all. Okay. So of course I never, I never progressed. I stayed yeah. around eleven minutes. Uh, then I decided in my senior year, after Ron Clark broke the world record, I said I'm going to run mileage. So I started to hide from him and, and run mileage, and then my times dropped. Nothing great, like cross. I never broke fourteen, but I wasn't a fifteen or sixteen minute. That was on a two and a half mile course. Yeah, right. I was now I was now on the cusp of yeah. breaking fourteen, and then my two mile time dropped to ten sixteen, 
and uh, and I was second in the Bronx Championships, and I went cool. I'm on my way. <laughs> this yeah. hiding around is working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and your coach is probably like, it's all the time trials. <laughs> yeah. And then I graduated yes. and I and I joined a club called United AA, and uh, which is not around anymore, right? I don't think no. so. And uh, and there it was a, a really good coach by the name of Jimmy Borden, and Jimmy Borden. And then there was a, a, a one of his star runners, uh, Joe Burns, and uh, Joe Burns just recently passed away. And, uh, and Joe Burns took me under his wing and would take me to the Boston Marathon. And, uh, and, and I was kind of a mixed up kid then. I wanted to be a championship runner, but at the same time, there was the pull of the neighborhood. And I wanted to be part of the, the crowd in the neighborhood. And I also had the draft on my side, you know, trying to get me. And I was just a mixed up kid. Yeah. But I would train sporadically and Joe would be very patient. Jimmy would be very patient. They felt I had some talent. And uh, and and uh, they would take me to Boston every year, and uh, I would run maybe three hours and thirty seconds on hardly any training. Mm-hmm. So they would say, "Could you imagine what you can do if you trained?" They told me, <laughs> and just, "You know, you only ran like three months, and look what you're running three hours." So um, uh, eventually, I was um, uh, sitting. That 1971, Jimmy had a real serious talk with me, my coach, and he said, "Look, you're 21 years old." Uh, uh, you have a lot of talent, and he said, and and he said, you got to keep a journal. So I said, oh, here, and I kept a journal. It was an accounting ledger book. Mm-hmm. I folded the page in half. I wrote Monday, and I wrote my miles, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way to total for end you know, at the bottom. Then I'd start the next ledger, mm-hmm. and I never stopped. That ledger has been with me now since today. Uh, you know, different version. I keep them all. And, uh, but it helped to see the mileage and, uh, and everything. And Jimmy then would you know, be calling me, now we're gonna, you're gonna commit, you're gonna commit. And uh, so uh, I eventually got my, he got, he, got, he, I, I, he got me to run with these other guys from the Milrose Club, Pat Bastic and a few others, and they were doing 80 mile weeks. So I linked up with them and all of a sudden doing 80 mile weeks. But my times aren't getting any faster. I ran, eventually I got it down to 250, almost 251. And I went, cool, 251. So I said, I wanna break 250. So I started to do you know, 80, now I wanna do 100 mile weeks. So now I'm doing 100 mile weeks. And I go to Boston and I bomb out. I run uh, 311 mm-hmm. because the mileage hadn't sunk in yet. And I was tired and I was running on tired legs. And the guys told me in the Milrose Club, be patient. Just be, it'll sink in, and then a month later at the at the AAU national championships, I'm running along, and Joe would always pace me and then leave me in the marathon. He'd always start off with me, and then he'd leave me because he was a 250, 240 something marathon runner. And I'm running with Joe. He's pacing me, and he's looking at his watch. He's going, "We just went by five miles, thirty minutes." And I okay. said, well, and I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, yeah. watch it. Yeah, a, a wristwatch. <laughs> right, not a runner's watch. Yeah, not a runner's watch. watch. Yeah, yeah a wristwatch. And then we went by 10 miles in 60 minutes. And Joe said, says, said, guys, we're going too fast. Yeah. He was another young guy that he was also mentoring at the time. But I just felt different that day. And uh, we hit 15 and miles. And somewhere around 18 miles, I said to Joe, Joe said, my God, we're averaging six minute pace. And I said, Joe, I gotta go. He says, really? Said, yeah, he's like my father figure. I, I feel faster. Yeah. So I took off. 
And as I'm running away, he jokes, jokes, be careful. Like my father, be careful. (laughs) Don't get hit by a truck. And and I didn't want the other guy that he was running, mentoring to beat me either. And I wound up going from 251 to 237 in one race. Mm -hmm. And And this is a month apart. No, Uh, two two months, months, two two months months apart. apart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And and Jimmy was right at the finish line. It was pouring rain. It was the old Yonkers uh, course that ran numerous loops around the the racetrack there. And you had to come in and run a loop of the racetrack and run back out again and do another six-mile loop. And I jumped into Jimmy's arms and everything. And then I committed. I said, I'm going to commit. And uh, and that's when I began really doing those 100-mile weeks, 110-mile weeks, 130-mile weeks, 160-mile weeks. Just really began to plow it in there. Uh, and I wanted to break 2:30, and um, and 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 then Kenny joined me, and we fed off of each other. And uh, Here, here's what happened. And I'm, I'm yeah, remembering no, now. No, 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 here's no, no. here's what, when we really connected. I didn't. I was supposed to graduate, you know, uh, in '73. Okay, but what happened was that I stayed an extra semester. I didn't want to leave oh, okay. Lehman yet. I wasn't eligible to run on a team, and that's when you—that's when you came over. Yeah. So I was still at Lehman taking a couple of final courses to get my credits to graduate, but I was just hanging around and not and and kind of in this netherland because I wasn't on the team because I used up my eligibility. But Ernie was now over there, and I remember my final course was a one-week ski course. Yes. We went on a skiing trip. Up in, and so there's a great picture of four of us from the track team, minus seven, standing outside with bathing suits on, and that's it. You know, and I have the picture. It's, yeah, uh, you know, with that. I love that. Billy and Steve Millette. Yeah, and I was just gonna say, I love that these little moments in time. It was like I, you didn't want to leave, and you stayed for just one extra little bit, and that's what brought you. That's together. when we connected because yeah. what happened was when we came back from that ski trip, and finally finished, right? And you know, they've been skiing all week. That weekend, I think I got back on on a Friday. That weekend, he and I boarded a bus at 242nd Street and Broadway and took it down to the Jersey Shore Marathon. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was my training. Was Well, I was running, but, but I skied the whole week before. And this is the second marathon I ever ran, and we decided to go yeah. and we, run this We were race. very different in our approach to yeah. training. He had the talent and, uh, and the gift. Of running, he could have, and he he doesn't believe when I, and I mean he won't believe it now when I say it. Kenny had the ability to be, probably be like a two fourteen, two thirteen marathon runner, based on the based on the mileage that he did. He he ran a third of what I ran, and he ran as fast as I did. Wow! So I, you know, I I I I had to work three times as hard to to run my times, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I always just. That guy can run two thirteen, two fourteen. I know I'm right on that. And um, so. four second rules says no. <laughs> As a coach, then, so if when you work with different athletes, how do you figure out like how to maximize someone's talent? Basically, you build them up slow yeah, over slow. time. You have to take the long term yeah. approach. So you have to say to yourself, like with Laura, let's take Laura. Actually, yeah, case study. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Laura. <laughs> hey, with, Laura. I, I never. Uh, uh, Kenny just pointed to her. At Van Cortland, because I said, "Can you give, give me an athlete?" And he said, "Okay, I'm gonna give you Laura. You can work tr- work with her." But she and Laura didn't know. She's just standing in the corner over there, and he and he said, "She ran, I don't know, 18 something." I said, "Oh, she can run 255," but she wasn't. She was like a 307, 308, and everything. But I knew right away, and I looked at her. So, oh yeah, this is a. I don't know why, but I can sometimes I can tell. 
and uh, and and then we work towards that. But she has it here. But she, she has it here. When she yeah. had someone believe in her, she made my job easy. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, I think you could run two fifty five. Let's do it. She said, yeah. "Okay, that's ninety percent of the battle right there, right?" Yeah. Uh, and so everything was set to, for her to do that. You know, to, to, and she did it. She right? She ran two fifty five, two fifty eight. Sarah's different. Sarah doesn't didn't believe she could do it, and mm-hmm. I had to convince her. And now she believes in her abilities, and because she has the ability, but she has to. But she's also younger, and she doesn't have the maybe the experience uh, on the road that, that that Laura had. So, and they're also just different temperaments. So, mm-hmm. just depends. You adapt your temperament to the athlete. You know, yeah. really, that's what you do. Ernie helps me, you know, because I, you know, he helped me in the Fifth Avenue Mile a few years ago. And he believed in me more than I did. And I was like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. He says, no, if not, look at this. Of course you can do this. This is how. And, and, and so we tried to break six and, you know, and, and did. Yeah. Six years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. But it was and more, did you but use it, all your old tactics to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to survive. <laughs> you went with 600 to go. Yeah, that's right, right. Yeah, make your move now. <laughs> you know? Or how to run the Fifth Avenue Mile, yes. you know. So, which so which I always rough have, how quickly you see the finish line. But oh, it's, it's way well, far. It's, yeah. it's like a, a, a pothead dream from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> you're awesome. running and you're never getting <laughs> there. <laughs> It's moving further away. As yes, yes. So, so just to kind of maybe wrap up my part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, I, I committed in seventy, whatever, early seventies. After that, two thirty-seven, and then it was a, a, a two-year process to break two thirty, and I did it the same day Kenny did, and uh, and then I went on to California right after that, and and got down to two twenty-three and missed getting to the Olympic trials by seventeen seconds. Oh. Later, they found out the course I ran in was 110 yards long. So I I actually had qualified. And it was a hilly course, too. And I won the race. I won that marathon against a very heavily competitive field at the time. So I would have been like the 93rd fastest American at the Olympic trials in 76 if if they would have, you know, given me... giving me a break so I had to wait four years and my dream then was to stand on the of course like every kid right you want to stand on the podium with a gold medal around your neck so I thought why not I'm dropping from three hours down to 223 I got four years I think I can do this so so I took lots of jobs I I made a commitment I, I I lost a lot of relationships because of my actions I gave up a lot of career stuff I was janitors for many I was a janitor for many years Took jobs that didn't require any brain power, you know, just and 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 just gave it all to you know. When you're running 100 to 160 miles a week, right? And uh, and then I had a, a I was pro- kind of progressing along, and then I had a very serious injury two years before the trials, and uh, that took me out for about a year on and off. And then I came back and I made it. I went to the nationals. I was very ready. I had a a solid year under me and I ran good track year too. and a good track year ran really well and I always had track mixed in there made it and ran a 221 made it to the trials and then uh, went to the trials and I went I overtrained and uh, my body fell apart my doctor said I had mono and uh, and and not to go to the trials he said, you're gonna kill yourself you need to stay in bed you got a huge fever uh, my coach at the time said, don't do it, you're going to hurt yourself. But a good friend of mine, his name was uh, Greg Jewett, said, no, 
You worked all your life to get to this point. Go to the trials, put the number on, stand on the starting line. When the gun goes off, just go. And then if you drop out, you drop out, but don't do anything stupid, but you gotta go and put your foot on the starting line. So I'm there with a you know, big temperature going on in my body and I put my foot on the line, had the number on, and I finished the race. I wound up and I, I don't remember half of it because I was delirious. Yeah. I ran uh, 2.34 that day. I finished almost last in the field and uh, and then uh, you know you're 30 years old now and you don't have any money you don't have any career you don't have any house relationship kids nothing so I had to kind of evaluate all of that and 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 uh, they decided to stick around for four more years and try again to go to the trials and see if I can fulfill my dream and uh, and uh, I trained hard for four years and but my body was already ravaged from all that mileage and uh, uh, that I had been doing. And I ran well, but by, by the time I made my last attempt, I was 34 years old. And, um, and, and I ran 222, I ran a whole bunch of sub 230s at that point, but couldn't get the 219 qualifying standard at the time. And, um, and at that time, I also met a wonderful woman, my, my wife, Sharon, and, and, uh, and I made a commitment to myself that uh, after, if I didn't make it in 84 or if I made it, I was going to retire from that level of training, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and I did, you know, I, and and got married, and then I started. I thought my life was kind of, oh God, how am I going to make up my life now? I, I don't have anything, you know, and I did. It, everything worked out. I got a good career. I found my niche, bought a house, got married, had a kid, and all that, and everything turned out to run. But I never stopped running. I still maintain some kind of running, but for fun. I love to compete.